Hello, everybody. This is exciting because we're talking on these mics, and I also have recording mics, and this is my first ever live studio audience Hello Good Humans podcast. So let's hear it. So what we have the pleasure of hearing from Carla Hine today. And Carla, can you just give, beyond your credentials that were just read, a little bit of an, an elevator pitch to everybody here? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love being up here with Zoe. So um, whoever planned all this, Rick, Jill, Tom, this is fabulous because she is like, I'm a, I'm a talker too, but she is just so fabulous. Don't you just love Zoe? Let's give Zoe a round of applause. Like, she's the most amazing. Um, Thank you. But that was nothing about you. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what I do. Um, elevator pitch. Um, kind of an interesting, unique story. I started at Viterbo after high school. Um, I failed out of Viterbo um, often. Um, I went over my GPA and it was a 0.0, .0 for quite a few semesters. Um, I don't recommend. I don't recommend. Um, and then I got into a lot of legal trouble. Um, I became a felon. And um, in that meantime, um, I turned my life around. I've been sober for 18 years. Um, yeah. And um, I came back to school. I got my bachelor's degree, two or three two, three years after um, getting sober. And I've had kind of, I've done a little bit of everything. I got my yoga um, instructor certification, um, all sorts of things that kind of challenged me in places I never thought. This is an um, elevator to the top of the Empire State Building, just so you all know my little elevator pitch. <laughs> um, but then I um, actually, by happen chance, got involved with the homeless community. Um, in lacrosse, and um, then was offered an opportunity to uh, be involved with the warming center, and fell in love with it. So that's my long elevator pitch. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, we have some questions that were submitted by Tom Kenoki's class. So wherever you are, thank you for these questions. Um, we're here because servant leadership is important to all of us. And one of the really important people in the servant leadership world is Robert Greenleaf. We've all read his book. It's very long, very deep book. <laughs> and um, he speaks about being a servant first and then being called to lead. And how does that resonate with your path to working at the warming shelter? I um, say this every time when somebody even just asks a question, I always say, great question. It's just something I say um, at every interview I've ever had and just when speaking with people, that is a great question. So great question, class. Um, servant first is in my heart. Um, I have four sons, the littlest who's sitting back there. Hi, Bentley. Um, and uh, so I, I serve my family. Um, I've served my community. That hasn't always been the case with me. Obviously, when you become a felon, it's, it's not because... You're the most outstanding um, positive citizen. You're usually um, doing the opposite of those things, and that's what I was doing. Um, and so I've really taken upon myself that the best way for me to make amends and to write, right, not only here but up there, is to then serve. Um, and oftentimes I'm serving the people who are me. Um, I see myself in every guest that comes into the warming center, um, dealing with mental health, um, addiction issues, um, post-traumatic stress issues, um, 
So it, it's kind of easy for me to serve. Um, I was once upon a time, um, I like to consider myself a, a leader, but I was a, um, like basically Greenleaf talks about like all the types of leaders you don't want to be. And I was every single like, yep, yep. I did all of those. Like I was a tyrant and you do this or this. And, and it really has taken a lot of focus and restraint, which isn't, um, hasn't always been my strong suit to sit and listen first. Um, and to be of service to the next person and to try to understand before I, I step in. And um, sometimes that understanding is that I, I don't step in, that, that you figure it out on your own. I think that's a huge part of servant leadership too, is that you don't need me, you know? Like I'm grateful I get to be a part of that, but I'm, I'm not needed at all times. I hope that answers that question. It does. Okay. <laughs> um, one of the things you mentioned was sitting and listening first. Um, one of the important parts of servant leadership is listening with compassion and empathy, but not judgment. And at the warming shelter, you probably are witnessing stories that you could easily judge, make judgments on what people are going through. How do you, how do you not do that? I would be a huge liar if I said I didn't up here. <laughs> right? Like that's the reality I do up here. And then um, I recognize and um, see myself in people. Um, oftentimes people will say, oh, you know, you have so much compassion and, and, you know, that you can work with those people or those people. And I kind of laugh. Those are my people. I feel not that I don't appreciate you all, but I feel more comfortable sitting at dinner with the warming center guests than I, than I felt here today. Um, and that's not because you're not wonderful people, but that's just because I can relate and there's a vulnerability um, with the guests of the warming center that I, I share my story with them. And um, sometimes guests will ask, well, why do you, why do you say that you're a felon? And, and I, I tell them because that doesn't have to stop you. That's not the end of your story just because you're homeless or just because you're battling with addiction. That's not the end of your story. Um, I really do try to listen um, and I don't say much. Um, I, I take those things home. I oftentimes pray for our guests, which I never thought, my mom can attest to this, I never thought I would um, pray in my entire life. That just wasn't my deal. Um, and just having gratitude because I recognize that I am seeing a reflection of myself in every guest that walks in the door. How do you stay positive, assuming that you do? I mean, you seem like a very positive, bubbly person, but how do you stay positive and not just feel absolutely drained when looking at the homelessness crisis that is the community of lacrosse? Um, I definitely do stay positive. Uh, I realize, recognize one, that I'm, I'm one person. I'm one person that um, can do what one person can do, and that's a, a lot for me, but I can't do everything. And I don't expect that I can do everything. But when I share my enthusiasm with you and you and you, and now there's 10 of us who are really excited about what's going on at the warming center. And that's probably my favorite part. That's what builds me up is that the volunteers and uh, staff that are there, I always say to them that I'm here to serve you. Like you are here to serve our guests. I am here to serve you to make you happy. And um, I do have a staff that's absolutely amazing right now. Um, I had heard that that hadn't always been the case, but I feel so blessed. My staff comes in every day and they're energized. And I'm not going to lie, we have a lot of fun um, behind the scenes. Like I had a staff last year that was pregnant and we had a baby shower for her where I got these tiny mini like kid strollers, you know, I'm talking about the real little ones. And we raced them up and down Third Street. So like we have a lot of fun at the warming center and I try to 
say that to everybody. You don't have to solve all the problems here. You just need to listen to one guest. And I also am grateful that my volunteers and my staff aren't like me. Sometimes people will come in and say, well, what do you expect of me? Well, I expect you to be you. I don't want 10 people trying to be Carla walking in the door because that's not what our guest needs. Our guest needs to see you and you, and we're all different, and you might have exactly what that guest can relate to or identify with. I would ask you the same question. So Zoe, humble, humble, um, volunteered at the Warming Center, her and her amazing partner, Ben, um, and they would come in Friday morning. So I get paid to be there. It's not the only reason I'm there, of course, but she was coming in not doing so. What was your experience? Well, I wasn't expecting to have to answer <laughs> questions, but um, I think there are obviously a lot of connotations, um, a lot of preconceived notions about what the homeless population looks like. Mm -hmm. Being a young woman especially, I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable going up to somebody if they are in a park or on the side of the street. Um, and that's just for my own safety. Mm-hmm. But being at the warming shelter, even just for two hours a week, has completely changed my idea of why people are there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably extremely embarrassing to wake up in the morning um, and see who from the community is serving you breakfast that morning. Um, I happened to see people that I knew, mm-hmm. um, which I was not expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the greatest, the greatest part was just getting to know people and their hearts and hear about people that are getting married or people that are going to their jobs. Um, there was one woman who throughout the course of a couple of weeks was looking for jobs and then had applied and then had interviewed and then had gotten a job. And it was, it was so cool just to see her being excited to tell me that mm-hmm. she had gotten her job and that she was going. And um, yeah, just little relationships. I never expected to build relationships with the people there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you never know who's going to be there every week. You don't know if they have found housing or if they found a job and they don't need to utilize the warming shelters facilities anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was cool. It was, it was humbling. And I recommend volunteering there to anybody here. Thank you for that non-solicited piece, but yes, feel free to volunteer at the warming center. Well, this is one of the things that that Ben and I actually talked about was that uh, so often a lot of us, especially those of you that are in college, my guess is that you probably don't have a ton of extra money, right? And even now I'm 25 and, you know, I'm, I'm doing well. I have a big girl job. You're so old. <laughs> <laughs> I am ancient. Um, and I'm I have I have a big girl job. I make money, but I still don't have a ton of extra cash to just give out to every uh, person in need. Mm-hmm. Um, but two hours a week yes. is all that we we did, and all that a lot of people can do, and um, it makes a huge difference. And we were volunteering from six to eight a.m. So, like, yes, we were getting up early. Mm-hmm. I'm not a morning person, but these are things that you can do before class, before practice, sometimes. It, it's it's easy and it, it makes a big difference. And oftentimes it's the people that come in and volunteer who I end up hiring because um, they'll decide that, oh my gosh, like this is magical and now you're going to pay me. 
to do this, which is um, wonderful. We have uh, three staff that were previous volunteers in other seasons and um, now are employed there. So, yeah. So if I'm ever looking for a job. Yes. Okay. Or a part-time <laughs> job. A lot of our people that do work there have full-time regular jobs. They just come there because they love the guests. I have a gentleman who's worked there for eight years and he doesn't need to work there at all. He just absolutely adores the guests. So um, beyond mm -hmm. volunteering, beyond monetary gifts, what are some things that the warming shelter needs, especially in this time um, of colder weather? Um, I mean, donations-wise, um, gloves are a big thing. Um, at the warming center, um, biggest needs and, and kind of physical, emotional, mental um, you're looking at addiction issues, you're looking at uh, mental health issues, and then you're looking at frostbite. Um, I had four guests last year that had amputations of either fingers or toes. And, um, and that's as simple as replacing gloves. And, and oftentimes it can be every day um, replacing those gloves. And sometimes people will ask me, aren't you enabling these people, Carla? Aren't you enabling these people? And this is a story I love to share is that I have four sons, right? And if my sons told me at the beginning of winter that they lost their gloves, there'd be two words I said to them, and the first would be tough. Um, but these are guests who don't have means to get other gloves, right? And when they're outside in the elements 24-7, I need to understand that they need those things to survive, right? And um, one time I asked a guest who was particularly driving me nuts, because every day he'd ask me for gloves. And I, I give people a little bit of a hard time. I I'm a tough lover, because I, um, I say, you know, I, I lived this life once before, so it's hard to pull one over on me, right? And so I just kept saying to him, where, do, where are your gloves? Why, this is like the fifth day in a row. Where are your gloves? And he said, Carla, he said, I knew if I came here today, you'd give me another pair. And there was somebody out on the streets who needed them more than me. And that's the truth. And that's the reality of the guests that are staying at the warming center. So I, I feel blessed that I... I take the time to listen to those um, and I ask those questions. So this is going off script a little bit. Go for it. Um, how do you respond when people accuse those that are experiencing homelessness of being lazy, of taking advantage of your resources, mm -hmm. of taking advantage of money that could be spent elsewhere? How do you, what, what is your take on that? You know how I said they're all good questions? This one's a really good, tough question. Um, I wish I had the answers. I don't have the answers. A lot of time people will come to me and say, well, what is the answer? I don't have the answer. All I know is my personal experience along with working here, it's not a waste. No person is a waste. Do I think that our money could be allocated in, in different areas much better? Yes, I do. Um, my own belief and I work at the warming center, but I don't believe in, and this is not Catholic Charities uh, opinion. This is not the Diocese of La Crosse's opinion. This is not the Servant Leadership Program opinion, but I'm not a proponent of housing first. Um, I am a proponent of um, getting people either into rehab, getting them on the medications that they need, teaching them life skills, um, all the things that you need so that once you get into a home, you can stay there because we're trying to put people um, in places, even when they come available and they're very slim, right? Um, in places where we are doing wonderful things at the warming center by providing meals and, and et cetera, et cetera. But now 
We have also taken away the ability for these people to budget, to meal plan. Like there's a lot of things that these skills, right? I'm, I'm sure when you came to college, you knew how to cook a gourmet meal, right? Like that was just something you knew because your mom or dad hadn't done it for you, right? So these are skills that need to be relearned. I think our community can best serve our guests by stepping up. Um, we're trying to, it's very in the infancy stage, but at the warming center, I'm inviting people in the community to come in. You're a cook. Great. Come in and show us how to meal plan. We, you have 50 bucks for the next two weeks, how to make that work, right? And make it healthy and nutritious. Um, you know, how, how do you get your meds refilled? What does it mean when you have two pills left? Do I need to call now? Do I need to call when I have no pills left? Those kind of a things, because we don't, our guests don't know all of those things, right? They're thinking night by night, day by day. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest things we can do. It's hard to understand that. It's hard to look at people who are on the street and see all of that. But then I would invite you to come into the warming center. Like, come in. Come in and volunteer. And um, sometimes people say, well, I, I don't feel like I was very much of use to the people at the warming center. I said, did you sit down? And did you have a meal with them? Good. You did perfect. That's exactly what I wanted you to do because they're they're just another human being who's eating dinner, trying to get through the day with their ups and downs. And I don't know the details of this either, but on, on Fridays, you are offering therapy of some sort to guests, which they can sign up to stay for. Yes. So um, this year I've been, so I, I started last year running the warming center and um, I had been kind of curtailed and told, so don't tell my boss. Um, I've kind of been told that we are night by night shelter, which we are. So there's the Salvation Army too, right? But the same guests keep coming. And I said, well, this is wonderful that we're keeping people out of the elements, but we're not helping them get to the next level, right? We're not, we're not setting them up for success. And I explain it this way that our guests, so we refer people like you can go to Cooley Council on Addictions, you can go to St. Clair Health Mission, you can do all these things. But when my guests leave the door and you're a drug addict or an alcoholic and you have 10 people on your way to St. Clair Health Mission who are offering to do drugs with you or to do this or that, being a recovering person myself, you can say maybe no once, maybe twice. And then, you know, you've got eight more people to get through. There's about a 0% chance that you're going to make it to wherever you're trying to get to. But if we bring those services into the warming center, now that success rate goes up a lot. And so we've invited Vivant Health in to talk about clean needle usage. It's not my favorite thing. I'm a very, ab I believe in abstinence with recovery, but people have their own ways of, you know, recovering. We have St. Clair Health Mission. The mobile med team comes in every Wednesday um, to go over things. They can even give them their mental health medications, which is phenomenal for people without insurance. We have then on uh, Fridays, we do have a life skills teacher coming in. Just talked to and got it secured that um, ADRC, which is the Aging and Disability Resource Center and Economic Support, will now be coming in on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings. So we're a lot of it is networking, and it seems so silly, but there's all these fabulous resources in the community, but our guests, like it's just like people with depression. My dad had depression and he said, Carla, the thing about depression is that even if the peer was across the room, you have depression, you're not gonna go get it. And that's the same thing with our guests. We have to bring those things to them. They have to see better to do better. Thank you, Carla. Thanks, um, should we move into a time of questions? So I have a question. Okay. Zoe, tell me about your podcast. <laughs> like, this is amazing. She's the most amazing human. And I knew this just by being in like one happenstance class with her. But 
there's other things. So like you ask, what can we do? What you're doing with your podcast and just empowering other people and giving them information. A lot of us think that I have to be, you know, you don't have to be in the warming center, right? You can be the person donating. You can be the person making a meal behind the scenes. You can be the person saying, hey, I was there. This is what I experienced. You should try it too. Tell me more about that. Um, so the podcast actually came from talking to my grandparents on FaceTime all the time during COVID. And um, my grandpa is a huge storyteller. My mom and my dad are both here. They can both say, yes, Grandpa Rich tells the same stories over and over and over. <laughs> but Grandpa Rich isn't going to live forever. And I started thinking, I really want to preserve these stories that he's telling me. And there was one time we were on FaceTime and he just kept talking. Like we're on FaceTime for like two or three hours. And I had tried to screen record because I was like, today's the day that I'm going to start preserving these stories. And then for whatever reason, the audio didn't save. And I was like, okay, I'm starting this podcast. And it, um, it was kind of a dream for a while. I kept having imposter syndrome thinking, who's going to listen? I don't really have that many people to talk to. I don't have that much to talk about. But then after competing at Miss Wisconsin, I decided, you know, I just did that. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> so I started this podcast and uh, I successfully have done about seven months of weekly uh, episodes. I've interviewed everybody from Grandpa Rich all the way to Miss America. She's my oh, friend. Nice. So <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and it's been it's been really great. And the whole thing is just Hello, good humans. Tell me about the good things that you're doing in your life. So one of the most uncomfortable uh, interviews that I've done was talking to a uh, college professional basketball player. I know nothing about sports. So I had to I had to call on my fiance, Ben. Okay, what are some good questions that I should ask about sports balls and all of those fun things? Sports um, balls. Sports balls. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's been really great. And honestly, I could probably interview every single person in this room and get a completely different story about what you're doing in the world and people would listen. And that that's the, that's the thing. People are listening and... I'm, it's not because of me. It's, it's not because they want to hear me say, oh, good humans. Like they want to hear people's stories and they want to learn about people that they know from their own communities. So, yeah. I have the greatest idea ever. I want you, as long as the guests will do it, to interview our guests. They're good humans. At the warming shelter? Yeah. Okay. Like they would obviously have to agree <laughs> to it, but I'm going to ask them. I think they would love that because I think there are people in our neighborhood doing good things, trying to do good things. Mm -hmm. So we could definitely do that. That'd be cool. At this point in the event, we opened up the floor to audience questions. And unfortunately, the mics that we were wearing do not pick up the audience questions. So the first question that they had for Carla was, what is the attendance of the warming shelter? Oh, like nightly? Good question. So it's super nice out. So our attendance goes down. But last night, we still had 27 guests. Um, the most we've had this season thus far is 44. Um, and that was when it got really cold. I think it was like that week and a half stretch of really cold weather. We go into what's called overflow status. So normally the warming center can have 34 guests. We still have, um, this gentleman, I should have asked his name, but, um, we still only have recliners at the warming center. So guests don't have beds and that is due to zoning laws in the city of La Crosse. So they have like the dialysis chairs that they sleep on which are like heaven for some of our guests, right? It's the first time they've put their feet up and they'll tell me, Carl, it's the first time nobody told me to move along today. 
So they are super grateful to be there. Um, but 44 was the most that we had at that time. Um, nightly, I would say on average between 26 to 28 um, guests is what we see. The next question from the audience was, do they ever have to turn anybody away from the warming shelter? And if so, what does that look like? Great question. <laughs> um, yes, yes, we do. Um, oftentimes, so the limit is 34 when the weather is 15 degrees above zero or higher. So we have a limit of 34 that we can service when it's 15 degrees above zero or lower. We can go up to 44 people. Oftentimes, um, we haven't yet this season had to turn anybody away based on numbers. It's based on, um, we have what's called a strike system at the warming center. And basically, that's for the safety of guests, staff, and uh, volunteers. Um, so you can receive a strike if you have like, so I didn't go into this, but we are no barrier shelter. So we're a little different than other shelters. That means that you come exactly as you are. And I always steal Tom's radical hospitality phrase um, that we accept you exactly as you are. And I was talking to another gentleman over here, Roger, I believe. And, and he was saying um, like the jail, I mean, we will literally have people leave the jail and walk the three blocks and check in with us, right? Those are our clientele. And there is no criminal background check. Like at the Salvation Army, you cannot be a felon. Um, and, and so we accept everybody there. Um, being that, we have to have rules and a big thing. So I worked at the Econo Lodge. Did you guys know about that hotel that we had? I was not happy when I worked at the Econo Lodge because believe it or not, um, despite my background, I'm a huge rule follower now. Um, and I believe in the rules, like, right? They're set up so that everybody is safe and that I can serve guests the best. Um, so our guests can get strikes and they're 10 day strikes. So they're out for 10 days, which we've gone around and around again. And I will take anybody's feedback if ever you want to talk to me about it, but, um, they can get strikes if they use drugs or alcohol on the facility. So they can literally, and we will have guests who are outside of our doors who are, um, have a rig shoot up right before they come in there in our doors. And, and they will use when they leave our doors or they will, you know, down a bottle of whatever they're drinking. Right. And, and we welcome those guests in. They're not not welcome here. Um, but we have to make sure that we're safe. So once they're in, we have a tote room and you have to empty, empty everything that you have in your pockets in the tote room. So we say, yes, we'll accept you as you are. You can put all of those things. So I don't call the police when I see things that if my son's brought home, I would be calling the police. Right. Um, and I put them in their tote. I don't judge them. Right. They're at where they're at. I'll talk to them once in a while about recovery or my recovery, not their recovery. Um, but oftentimes, so people were getting kind of upset because um, we will have maybe 10 guests, maybe 15 guests at a time that have like a strike in our facility. And we we're trying to figure out why that was. And I did. So I looked at it last year and three fourths of the strikes from our facility. Guess what they were for? I know you guys don't know all the rules at our facility, but guess what those strikes were for? No. Although guests sometimes like to smoke in the restrooms, but we try to be pretty on top of that. It was actually for guests leaving early. So guests get a strike if they leave before checkout time at five in the morning because they are taking the spot of somebody else who could have slept in the warming center. And that is all guests like making their decision on their own. So that is not us as staff making those decisions, that's guests making those decisions, which made me actually very... Um, grateful for my staff because we will give people about 100 chances. I always tell people, people will sometimes say, some guests will say, well, I want to talk to your boss. And I always say, you were better off talking to the person in front of you because they're going to be a heck of a lot nicer than the boss. 
because they'll give people about five more opportunities than I will. I'm, um, I'm a big believer in the rules and sticking to the rules because that makes everybody safe. It makes you safe and it allows us to keep the center open. I say, you know, if I bend this rule today and something happens, we might be closed down for the season. And, and that's more important than keeping you happy tonight. All right. Well, thank, thank you, Zoe. <laughs> no, thank you, Carla. Thank, thank you, guys. you all for being here. And uh, we'll hand it over to Diane. So I'm recording this after the fact, but I just want to say that I am so grateful to Carla and for all the work that she's doing in our community. Um, somebody has to do the work and there is nobody that is as passionate and as understanding as Carla is about those in our community that are experiencing homelessness. And um, I'm just... Uh, I'm really grateful for her, and I'm also really grateful for the Viterbo community, the uh, D.B. Reinhardt Center for Ethics, who put on this event and who invited me to come and share my podcast and my love for good human stories. I just, my heart is full, and um, I thank you all for listening. I hope that the audio wasn't too kooky, <laughs> and if it was, we'll figure out a better option for hopefully next time. All right. Goodbye, my hello good humans.